The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is my 111th show, 111. And I'm broadcasting from my hometown of Los Angeles, where it is cold. Not as cold as the rest of the country, but nevertheless, in the 50s, which for us is very cold. Pretty difficult to believe that we're only a couple of weeks away from Christmas and only three weeks away from 2014. You know, I feel extremely confident about next year. I think um, it's going to be a fantastic year for business not only in the United States, but right around the world. And before I came on air tonight, I saw a story on CNN that China is set for a return to boom, and that's great news for the whole of the world economy. Here in the US, we uh, had great growth, job growth numbers the last couple of months, and economy is picking up very strongly. We had a 3.6% percent growth in GDP last quarter. We're becoming more and more energy independent and that along with the incredible strides that are being made in technology and with the internet of everything or the internet of things, I think it's set to propel the United States now for decades to come. I think we're on the verge of a major boom. One of the most interesting things to come out of the Thanksgiving holiday sales is that Pinterest is becoming a dominant social commercial platform. Now, I didn't think much about Pinterest until fairly recently. Now, even though Pinterest only got 4% of the monthly users of Facebook, 4%, not a very big percentage, its share of the social generated e-commerce over Thanksgiving is within only a few percentage points of Facebook. So, one twenty-fifth of the number of users, and yet almost the same generation of funds from um, from Pinterest, according to marketing and an- analytics company Pecora, sales that came to retailers through Pinterest increased by two hundred and sixty percent. What is even more interesting is the traffic on Pinterest didn't increase during this period, meaning that Pinterest users are becoming more and more likely to move from browsing to purchasing. So sales up 260%, but traffic overall didn't um, didn't increase. So Pinterest's future looks extremely 
bright. Now, during this week, I also went from sceptical about Bitcoin, and now I'm a fan. A few things influenced me. Firstly, the dealer accepting Bitcoin as currency to buy my favorite car, the Tesla. We are $110,000 in Bitcoin. No jump change. Secondly, the statement by David Wu, who, if you don't know, is the FX and rate strategist at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, who said, we believe the Bitcoin can become a major means of payment-free commerce and may emerge as a serious competitor to traditional money transfer providers. Bitcoin has clear potential for growth. The third influencer for me is just the general comment at the Media Entertainment Technology Alpha Leaders Group, otherwise known as METAL, that I belong to in Los Angeles. This has got the thought leaders um, from California and around the United States, about 1,600 of them. It's an extraordinary group. And sentiment, I think, is becoming more and more positive towards Bitcoin. Having said that, <laughs> one Bitcoin was over $1,100 last Friday, and today was about 820 so there's still plenty of fluctuation and uncertainty. However, even the conservative Ben Bernanke says Bitcoin may hold long-term promise. So that was good enough for me to change my mind. Bitcoin, I'm on your team now. There was a lot of surprise expressed in emails to me last week about the Credit Suisse World Wealth Report I spoke about. And that shows that global wealth has risen by 68% over the past 10 years, with three quarters of this increase in wealth occurring in the United States, right here, not in China, not in India, not anywhere else, but in the United States. And last year, we saw 1.8 million new millionaires in the world, and of that 1.8 million new millionaires... 1.7 million of those millionaires, far more than any other country, happened right here in the US. So we've now got over 13 million millionaires, far more than any other country. And it demonstrates clearly that the opportunity in the United States is still phenomenal. Incidentally, if you work it out, the United States created 4,650 new millionaires. That's 4,650 new millionaires every single day. That's 200 new millionaires every hour. That's phenomenal. Now, last week, in answer to one of our emails, we talked about the Internet of Things And this week came a report in BI Intelligence with the headline, Why the Internet of Things Will Be Huge and Why It Will Drive Tremendous Value for People and Businesses. And it reiterated what I said last week, that the number of devices on the Internet of Things will hit 10 billion within five years. That is one hell of a lot. That's 10,000 million appliances will be on the Internet of Things. It will make enormous savings. And last week I gave a couple of examples. Uh, For example, in Cincinnati, residential waste volume fell 17% and recycling volume grew by 49%. 
through use of the Internet of Things, smart electricity grids, grids that adjust for peak energy use will create savings of between $200 billion and $500 billion every single year with the Internet of Things. And smart water systems already in operation reduced leaks by in excess of 50%. Wow, big numbers. The end result is a massive increase in efficiency across individual households, across industries, and across nations. Now, I've been in marketing all my life, but if I said to you, and I know a lot of people listening are marketers, but if I said, asked you, what's the most brilliant marketing campaign that you would remember? I'd probably get a whole bunch of answers, but I'd be really surprised if Ron Burgundy came instantly to mind. However, Will Ferrell has generated tens of millions of dollars worth of exposure, probably much more than that worldwide, for the film Anchorman 2, with the studio yet to spend one single penny. It's now suggested the studio may be able to save between 50% and all of its advertising budget for the movie. That is really quite extraordinary, and it shows just how powerful a carefully constructed campaign can be and just how well you can use social media if you really put your mind to it. It used to be that movies were promoted by, you know, those fast and furious, sorry about that, those action-packed trailers, media tours, paid publicity, merchandising and all that stuff. And the media budget usually being very, very substantial. But over a year ago, Ron Burgundy announced that Paramount and his lawyer had agreed to terms on a sequel. And you might remember at the time Burgundy said, the whiskey sours are on me. Then in character as Burgundy, Ferrell announced the movie on Conan O'Brien and the promotion began. Since then, the creative team have been urging fans to produce their own social media concepts, and the groundswell's just built and built and built from there. Videos, GIFs, memes, and an iPhone app have followed. I don't know whether you've seen seen Scotchy Scotch Toss, but it's 99 cents on iTunes, and you virtually toss ice cubes into a rocks glass while being mocked by Burgundy and his dog Baxter, who I think is his campaign manager. (laughs) Ferrell recorded over 80 commercials for Dodge and he did it for free. The commercials, free, nothing, nada. Usually they get millions of dollars for those commercials. The commercials have each had from hundreds of thousands of hits to millions of views on YouTube. In addition to the substantial ad and money that Chrysler spent on them. Ferrell also recorded 50-plus video and social nuggets, which they've been seeding regularly on social media. It has been a fantastic campaign. Paramount's running a social media-style casting call to select talent to join Ron's news crew as meteorologists and sportscasters and reporters and all the stuff you have on, um, on a news and the entrants can create their own characters from scratch. 
This is also an incredible success story and producing all sorts of weird characters from right across the world that are no doubt great fodder for Ron's future ventures. And the the best part's got to be that from an organiser's perspective, there's no prize. You get 15 minutes of fame. (laughs) How cool is that? And as Paramount said, Burgundy fans have been creating content and essentially doing all the marketing for them. Their job at Paramount is just to continue to feed the frenzy. Burgundy and his crew also created specific videos for places like Ireland and Australia, the UK. I know that um, being Australian but not having been there for one hell of a long time, his musings on the prime ministerial race in Australia got over 600,000 views. And when you think the population of the whole country is only 20 million, (laughs) that's a pretty good number. And the spontaneous vocal harmonies and dancing that everybody saw on the news right around the world during the press visit to Australia, also fantastic publicity. And you might also have seen the um, Idaho sportscaster who impersonated Burgundy during a Halloween sports broadcast, and his shtick, an impersonation of somebody impersonating somebody, went viral, collecting millions of hits right around the world, and it was on newscasts, and it was everywhere, globally. And last week, Burgundy read the news on a North Dakota television station. It made primetime news on every channel across the world. He even turned up... (laughs) I love this, as a commentator at the Canadian Olympic curling trials. Curling, for Christ's sake. Who the hell does curling, apart from the Canadians? And in the next few days, he's popping up interviewing superstar quarterback Peyton Manning about how can he possibly be a quarterback without having a moustache. And even at the prestigious museum in Washington, D.C., which I absolutely love, which has got exhibits chronicling every major event since the commencement of news media. The Anchorman exhibit tells the story of the challenges that women have faced when they arrived in newsrooms in the 1970s. Boy, and what advances they've made. Whee! A comedy movie promoting serious news in the museum, which is a wonderful place if you haven't been there in Washington, D.C. You see the Capitol from the balcony? It's brilliant. One thing is for sure, Ron Burgundy has really set the bar impossibly high for anyone who wishes to follow promoting a movie. And there's still, I think from today, 10 days until Anchorman opens in theatres. So anything can still happen, and I suspect it probably will. They're probably sitting there right now around a table coming up with some monster promotion. We've also been talking over the past few weeks about how social media is becoming the place for video. People no longer look at the TV guide or flip through the remote control. You just don't do it anymore. Nowadays, they look at what videos their friends have posted on social channels. 
and what's being forwarded onto them. Online video audiences are going to double in 2016, reaching around 2 billion people globally. 2 billion people watching video. Most will watch video and TV on social media platforms like YouTube and Facebook and video apps like Vine. I think the um, programs will get shorter. There's a lot of three minutes and eight minutes and 20 minutes. You know, you put three 20 minutes together over three days and you've got an hour program that you can air on some cable network somewhere. And, uh, you know, mobile devices are just changing the way we view programming. And importantly for for advertisers, the research data shows that consumers are more likely to enjoy a brand video and remember the brand involved, and that's the most important thing, if they receive it thanks to a social media recommendation. So if somebody recommends it to you, you're more likely to remember the brand. For a brand, a video that goes viral means millions of views on YouTube getting millions and millions and millions of impressions that they didn't have to pay for. That's the key to this. They don't have to pay for them. And more importantly, consumers are interacting with the brand voluntarily. Incidentally, I don't know whether you noticed, but Fox has sold out all of the ads for the Super Bowl at $4 million bucks each, the most expensive ever. So despite TV audiences diminishing rapidly. The Super Bowl still is the blockbuster and uh, four million a spot. Woo! Now you're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and the whole reason we're here is to insist entrepreneurs like you to become successful. So if you've got a question about any aspect of business, please don't hesitate to call me or email me preferably at bob at bobpritchard.com and we will answer you on air or we'll email you directly. Now, we're the number one show in the world for entrepreneurs on radio, so no matter where you are on the planet, we thank you for listening. Now, it was a big week last week for the Australians in Film organisation in Los Angeles. I love Australians in Film. On Friday night, we were guests at Fox Studios for The Book Thief, a great movie that I urge you to go along and see. We all had a chance to ask Jeffrey Rush questions about his life and his role in the movie, which was great fun, extremely interesting, and a really nice social occasion. Next week, Australians in Film have their Christmas party, which I'm really looking forward to, with a screening of Mr Banks, which has got to be a very strong Oscar contender. But a few nights ago, I went, to the Los Angeles premiere of a movie called The Rocket at Rally Movie Studios, also put on by Australians in Film. I'd never heard of this movie before, but wow, what a surprise. It is an absolutely wonderful film set in Laos in Asia. And The Rocket has won major awards throughout the world and is receiving Best Foreign Film Oscar buzz. It is a blitzer. And after the movie, I had the opportunity of having a chat with the writer and director of The Rocket, Kim Mordant. He's a fantastic guy. And I'll be back with Kim 
after this break on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on the Voice America Business Network. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the segment of the show where we talk to people who are really making a name for themselves in the world. And we try to find out what it is that makes them tick. Now, this program is all about saluting and assisting entrepreneurs, no matter what endeavor you're in, so that we can emulate those successes and encourage others to get off their ass, go out and have a go. Now, a few nights ago, I went to the Los Angeles premiere of a movie called The Rocket at Rally Movie Studios. I'd never heard of the film, but I'd heard that there was some Oscar buzz about the movie in the foreign film category. Wow, what a surprise. It is an absolutely wonderful film set in Laos in Asia, for those of you who don't know where it is. It's an engaging, deeply personal story about Arlo, who is a really cute, determined, strong character 10-year-old who his family believed is cursed. And he has all the odds really stacked against him. Something I didn't know, but Laos is the most bombed country in the world, ever. And the backdrop to this really gripping and heartwarming story is the tragedy of of a war-ravaged country that's embarking on massive change... And like in so many of these cases, to the detriment of many of its people. The name of the movie, The Rocket, it's derived from the most dangerous and most lucrative competition, which consists of all the locals building giant rockets to send to the sky in order to encourage the heavens to provide much needed rain. Arlo, in a last ditch effort to prove that he's not cursed, builds a giant rocket, and enters the competition. 
Now, the cast is excellent. The kid who plays Arlo is a former Laotian street kid whose name I can't pronounce, so I'm not even going to try, but he gives a really gutsy performance. His grandmother in the movie is perfectly cast. She's like everybody's grandmother. <laughs> and uh, the wonderful nine-year-old orphan Kia that Arlo befriends is terrific. And then there is the magnificent eccentricity of Uncle Purple, who's played by a veteran actor and spends the movie channeling James Brown. I won't tell you any more about the film, because if you get an opportunity to see The Rocket, I strongly suggest you do so. It is really terrific. But don't just take my word for it. As well as winning Best Feature, Best Actor in the Audience Award at the Tribeca International Film Festival... The movie has also won awards in the Netherlands, India, the Ukraine, Taiwan, Italy, Canada, England, Kosovo, Denmark, and in Australia. People, The Rocket is a really great movie. The Los Angeles Times said, If any Tribeca film this year merited the term breakout, it's this one. Don't be surprised if this one is in the foreign language Oscar conversation next year. It's a great movie. After the movie, as is my want, I was enjoying a nice glass of red wine and I had the opportunity of having a chat with the writer and director of The Rocket, Kim Mordant, who, apart from being wonderfully talented, is one of the nicest, most down-to-earth, relaxed guys you would ever want to meet in the entertainment business. I mean, he's a real breath of fresh air. He's been frantically busy since he's been in Hollywood because the powers that be are taking notice. And Red Lamp Films, the production company that Kim founded with producer-writer Sylvia, here's another name I can't pronounce, but I'll have a go and, and Kim can correct me, Wilzeski, hmm. <laughs> have two fiction features in development, both written by Kim. Despite being busy, Kim enthusiastically agreed to be on the show today. Kim, how are you? Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Hello, Bob. Thank you for talking to me. It's a pleasure. Now... Laos is a, an amazing and a spectacularly beautiful country. I've actually been there. So what led you to write a movie that's totally situated in what many regard as a country that very few people know about? And how did your involvement with the country and its people develop into what comes across so powerfully in the film as a very affectionate relationship between you and them? Um, well, it, it is affectionate, and I, I love the country. I love the people, Bob. And... Look, it all started a long time ago, about a decade ago. Ten years ago, the producer, Sylvia Wilczynski, and myself... I wasn't that far wrong. No, that was good. It was good. <laughs> no, no, that was good. And you got my name exactly right. Oh, um, good. Yeah, but, you know, we, we it, it does go back a long way. We were living and working in, actually, Hanoi in uh, the north of Vietnam ten right. years ago. Yep. We travelled to Laos a lot and just loved the country. It was like a you know, breath of fresh air. It was serene, it was calm. People were very funny and fun and inviting. And we were having a drink in a bar one night and we met a bomb disposal specialist, as you do. Yes. And uh, you know, further beers were exchanged and uh, he, he told us the story of the history of Laos, the secret war of Laos. Right. which we had no idea about. We thought, sure. my God, you know, we're educated people, but we don't know about this. And Australia was an ally in this war, and, you know, we'd learnt so much about the Vietnam War, but we didn't know about the secret war. 
which made it the most bond place on the planet per capita, as you said. And look, the the other thing was is that we thought, well, let's make a film. So we made a documentary called Bomb Harvest. Yes. And Bomb Harvest centred around a wonderful Australian character called Lay Stevens, who incredibly inspiring, brave, ex-army uh, man who's now working, or who was working at the time for Mines Advisory Group, a yep. North English company clearing up the bombs in Laos. And um, and he it was it was a great film and it got very good response around the world and in particular in America actually played at the Margaret Mead and uh, and also at the Artivists and won major awards and um, and uh, the response of that film really from the Lao community who had already collaborated with a lot to make that film was well um, this is a terrific film we love life but how about next time making it. Lao protagonist in Lao. Right. And so we, we, you know, this is a big request. <laughs> we took yeah, a big, absolutely. big breath and collaborated again with a woman called Pauline Puminda, who's Lao Australian. And she said, look, we, in Lao we don't have a funded industry, so we're going to have to try and build this film out of Australia. Um, and that's what we did. And Screen Australia took a leap of faith and, and, uh, and so was born this film. But, you know, it does come from a love of this country and uh, and really feeling incredibly inspired by a place where, which has been so hammered by war, but which is determined to break cycles of hatred and to, to, to turn a darkness into something positive and very beautiful, which you'll see in the end of the film when you see it. <laughs> I've seen it. Yeah, okay, there we go. You see it. You know what happens at the it, end. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's great. I love it. Mate, if you win any any more awards, you'll have to get a bigger house. <laughs> well, I've only got... I live in a tiny little place, so, you know... <laughs> well, that'll change. Um, one of the most appealing aspects of the movie, from my perspective, is the sensational and, and really unique characters that you developed and that grew... As the film progressed, you know, the more yeah. it went on, the more you felt that you could, you really started to relate to these people. It's not set in Hollywood where you can just call a casting session and a hundred actors turn up. <laughs> How did you find such amazing characters in a country with no film industry yeah. and with the lead roles taken by essentially people with no experience? Well, look, it, it, it was a very, very long casting process, and it began with me and Sylvia trailing around Laos, um, doing workshops in schools, talking to tuk-tuk drivers, and in fact, we made a promo where we, you know, we, we were just literally drawing people out of marketplaces and, um, you know, on the streets and temples, and so we'd, we'd been traveling around a lot and trying to get intimately involved, you know, going to schools yeah. and meeting teachers and... Uh, heads of community and so we'd been looking a long time and then we also started working with a casting agent in Thailand whose favourite pastime is to walk the hills of Burma and Laos and Thailand and she's an extraordinary woman, Non Jungamaya and, um, and it was a mixture of just searching and searching and eventually we came across this little boy, Sikipon uh, Disamur or his nickname is Guy, who plays Arlo. He's wonderful. And Oh, he's wonderful. And, you know, like he, he just kind of waltzed into the screen test and he was eating because he was hungry because he'd been a street kid for two years. And um, and he was wonderful. And he, he kind of basically said he could do anything. And I, I love telling this little story. I remember saying to him, Key, can you swim? 
because there's this swimming scene in the film. Right. And he said, I can hold my breath underwater for half an hour. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And he was just that kind of kid. And, of course, we couldn't swim. He didn't know how to swim. So we spent the next three months giving him swimming lessons and... Uh, and, but he was that kind of kid who just would make things happen and was determined to survive and, and totally lovable, you know, like yeah, a, a, a really good human being in yeah. there as well. And, and as he started to align his life to the story, really, um, it, you know, all the emotion came and it was deeply moving for me from right from the beginning. Mm. Yeah. So the rest of the cast? Rest of the cast, okay, we've got the little girl. She was, uh, again, we looked far and wide, and in the end we found her in a little drama group who was sort of doing puppetry and improvisation on the edge of Vientiane, the capital of Laos. And uh, it was her eyes that got me. Literally, she lived through her eyes, and she was tough as well. She could kick a ball as high as any boy and uh, and also didn't care about the camera, you know. Right pick her nose while the camera is rolling and just didn't care. She was who she was, and I love that about her. Uh, Something very pure. And so that was her. And the mother who plays um, Marley, who plays the boy's mother, Alice Giaavong, I also did auditions in the Lao Temple in Western Sydney. So, look, this this casting has gone on all around (laughs) many countries and over much time, and Alice was terrific. She hasn't done a big role before, uh, but she was very loving, and I could see very good with kids. I could see we're going to be able to build a family with her, yep. and very strong. And I won't give it away, but she has to to do something pretty yep. amazing at the beginning of the film. Yep. And rival grandma, which brings me to grandma. Grandma Bunti <laughs> Indi, and she started acting when she was fifty. So, you know, all you people out there who are turning 50, go out and become an actor. It's not too late. (laughs) And uh, she's wonderful, very strong, but also incredibly funny. Just has got this turn of phrase uh, and wit that a lot of the Lao people have. It Mm. comes from a very dark place, but they are funny. And I think that's why Australians and Americans get on well with Lao people. Yeah. Um, This incredible wit. And then there was um, Dad yep. um, and Samrit Waran, and he basically was a stuntman. He'd never done a, a role like this before in his life. So he would play, you know, the dead guy or being shot and then being dead, yeah. and that's about it. Day job is cleaning windows in Bangkok on skyscrapers. So he's one of those little dots you see going down the side of a skyscraper. Those idiots that hang off buildings. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and uh, he's, he, look, he's wonderful. He had to do this sort of unspoken internal part. Yeah. And uh, he's very good. And then, of course, Uncle Purple. Uncle Purple is sensational. Uncle Purple. Now, he's our veteran actor. And we knew this from the beginning. We're gonna, it's a complex role full of contradictions full of layer upon layer of, of history of himself, of the country. And we had an actor, we approached an actor called Tep Thornam. And Tep is, um, he actually lives in Bangkok now. Right. And which was kind of right for the character because the character is deeply spiritually loud, but at the same time um, has this part of himself that is really kind of popular American culture yeah. and the best of popular American culture, you know, Mr. James Brown. Absolutely, I agree. <laughs> I, just, I just got a very a, a quick a quick aside while you yeah yeah go for that. it. 
what was going through your mind when you created Uncle Crazy. Purple? Do you sort yeah. of get up in the middle of the night and take drugs or something? Me? <laughs> no, I'm a dad. I can't do that stuff anymore. You know, I've got a six-year-old. I have to behave. But uh, no, it's um, wonderful really with, character. It's he so is unusual. Yeah, he, and he's, he's quite mythical in a way. And look, he is based off a real person. Whilst I was making the documentary Bomb Harvest, which came before the feature film, I was in a remote village on the Ho Chi Minh Trail in Laos, uh, six hours from nowhere, yeah. trying to do interviews about uh, you know people who had lost limbs from bombs. And from a hut behind me is this music, and popular American music. And I think, oh, God damn, this, you know, I'm never going to get this interview done. <laughs> and then out of the hut, one is this man in a purple suit holding a ghetto blaster and plastered on rice wine. And I then <laughs> found out that this man hadn't taken off his suit for many, many years, never, slept in it, walked in it, everything, bathed in it, uh, never took it off. And when I walked away from that place and we were scripting later on, he just kept coming back to me. What an extraordinary character. Yeah. And really, you know, I thought, well, this is interesting because the Hmong, um, which the character is a part of a people called the Hmong, very strong, uh, bright people, um, they actually fought on the side of the CIA during the Secret right. War. Right. And that's what gave me the idea. I thought, well, this is really interesting. Is We've got this little kid who's considered cursed who needs a mentor you know his father's his family's receding from him as they think he's cursed and as yeah. they think he's causing problems and he needs someone else and he finds this man purple who is also marginalized because he fought on the wrong side right and but at the same time has this great spirit in this part of american popular culture mm. so it's really about these two marginalized dysfunctional people coming together and heading off on this journey so that's really where that character came from i don't know about you but i'm one of those people who loves marginalized out there weird people you know absolutely the, the yeah. people that are just homogenous yeah. leave me cold now, yeah, i've just lost right. my audience but <laughs> nevertheless um, when, when you're um, out in the middle of Laos and you're looking for a kid and you go to yeah. a school yeah. and there's lots of kids and they're all bubbly and bright because kids are. What, yeah. um, what's the first thing you look for? What, what's the first thing that says, aha, you're worth talking to more? Uh, look, it, it's hard to put that into words, but I think what it is is just they, they have a weight to them. So you're looking at all these kids and, and you know, you're looking for life, obviously. You're looking sure. for the playfulness in a person, the, the irreverence, yeah. uh, anything, anything that is kind of pushing out and, and annoying the world. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and then you also, you know, for me, I look for something that has, there's a weight in there and you don't quite know what it is because you don't know the person, but you're thinking that there's this, there's, you can always tell. You think that this person's been through something and they've survived. And there's something in there that is very strong but very hurt all in one. Yeah. And for me, that is kind of the essence of good storytelling as well and great characters, great heroic characters as well, great heroic Hollywood characters. Yeah. Is the, the best ones all come, come from a place which, you know, has had to sort of survive adversity or been through some deep hurt and have come out the other end 
and there's something in there that's humming away. So look, it's it's hard it's to put character. it. In, it's cool character, you know, but, but it's hard to put it into words, but I think that's kind of what it is. Okay. Now, you've got a history of making documentaries and movies that are powerful social commentaries. I've read that you've taught filmmaking and drama in Asian, Arabic and Aboriginal communities and have been a filmmaking mentor in refugee centres and prisons. Where does this passionate desire to highlight injustice uh, um, come from? you have a family history of activism or...? Life um, look, experiences led you there, or you met a girl who was a hippie? <laughs> all three. <laughs> Definitely all three. Yeah, no, look, it's a bit of a, it's amazing. You just kind of pretty much summed up my life then, <laughs> in a nutshell. But yeah, look, it's, it's all three. I, I think, um, you know, I, I had a pretty chunky early family life. Yep. And my mother's actually Mauritian Indian. Yes. So you know, from a non-English speaking background, and she was a migrant, and at a time, she was a migrant at a time, actually in England, before I moved to Australia, where, you know, England wasn't a nice place to be if you were a new migrant. Yep. It was a, a quite, quite a, not, not, not a good time. So, you know, I experienced as a child seeing her very marginalized, and, uh, and she got quite sick, and, I had to, as a child, look after her and uh, blah, blah, blah. You know, the things that all us human beings carry around sure. with us. And and then, um, you know, also my father was a, a documentary filmmaker. Okay. And, and he, look, he, at one stage he threw it all in and went and became a farmer. And I grew up more, more or less on a farm. But in his <laughs> younger days, he was a filmmaker and he's now returned to filmmaking and he's, you know, 74, <laughs> but, but still, still very active and you can't stop him. But so, you know, the, of course, there's that part of, of, of my family that I've inherited. And my mum, uh, you know, was a painter and sociologist. And so I, I've, I've always been fed with... Got a with, great background. With, yeah, it was yeah. good stuff. And, and, and then, as you said, was your girlfriend a hippie? Well, <laughs> um, you know, you know, growing up young in Australia, I was surrounded by, by, you know, those young activists and yeah, I, people I trying to, to stimulate your brain. So, you know, really, you pretty much hit the nail on the head. That was, that was all three. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. I know that you're pressed for time. So, yeah. I believe you now have a Hollywood agent. Now that the powers that be are taking you seriously, yes, are you getting lots of opportunity good. coming your way? Um, look, there's, there's quite. A bit, I'm being fed some really interesting screenplays and meeting extraordinary people. Who, to be honest, I never thought I'd meet in my lifetime. Sure. So I, I feel very humbled and very lucky to be, you know, doing this right now. So uh, yes, the things have been really exciting. It's just a matter of finding enough minutes in every day I to understand. continue with my own work and to look at other people's work. Now, do you, um, do, and, would you prefer yeah. to do your own work or other people's work? Uh, both. Look, I, I, I'm, I, keep, I will always keep doing my own work uh, because I, I am a writer, and you know these things come to my mind. Uh, stories are just a natural part of my brain. Hmm. Um, but having said that. I'd love to collaborate with other people and there are extraordinary stories around the world that people are, uh, are pulling out of the globe and, and trying to translate into cinema. So Great. both, I'd, I'd like to do both if possible. Now your production company in Red Lamp Films, you've got two fiction yeah. features, the thriller Zigzag and the action yeah. romance Pink Mist in development. When yeah. do you anticipate that they will make it to the screen? 
Um, I can't say. You know, it, it, it comes yeah. down to I'm, I'm writing Pink Mist at the moment and working with another writer, Howard Jackson, on Zigzag. Right. And so it's, it's just a matter of... of a when, whole bunch of things falling into place. Oh, and, and finding time. You know, at sure. the moment I'm reading so much material, it's about also finding time to write. So it's hard to say, but I'm, I'm hoping there'll be the financing will start in about... Uh, you know, maybe eight months' time, seven months' okay. time for Pink Mist, but right. uh, then it's a long process, but hopefully sure. not as long as it was before. <laughs> no, that, ten years in the making, that's a while. Yeah, Kim, that's right. thank you very much for bringing us such a great movie, Pleasure. and much more importantly, for being one hell of a nice guy. One thing I, I didn't mention, but I know you'd press for time, but I just wanted to say quickly, um, Kim also has set up a... Um, uh, foundation for assisting kids in Laos, which I think, you know, we were talking last week about the importance of people who are successful giving back, and too little of it happens, and um, so good on you for that. And, you know, you're just one hell of a nice guy, and I, I have no doubt that we're going to hear and see a lot more of you in the near future, and I, for one, look forward to the next Kim Mordant project, and, uh, and if you'd like to know more about Kim and the Rocket, go to therocket-movie.com. That's therocket-movie.com. And do yourself a favour. Take someone you love out to dinner and into this movie. I guarantee you that you'll come out raving about it just like I did. This is Bob Pritchard, and you're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business, and I'll be back in just a moment. it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking absolutely no bullshit just tell it the way it is business show that's coming to you live every tuesday evening at 5 p.m from los angeles and we welcome you and thank you for listening 
each week, you know, we try to bring you emails from listeners around the world and also make sure that they're balanced between male and females because um, today female entrepreneurs are the rapidly growing segment of the entrepreneurial market and we welcome you to our ranks and hope you grow and prosper. If you're listening to this program and and, um, you think you've got a story to tell that will help other entrepreneurs, then please drop me a drop me an email. I got a I got a one today from a um, a fellow in Nashville, and we're going to record the interview tomorrow. Uh, so if you've got a good story to tell, something that others can learn from, then please um, please drop me a line, and we'll we'll love to talk to you. My first email today comes from David Olson of Anchorage, Alaska. <laughs> Cold. David writes, you've spoken several times about the need to differentiate your product or service clearly from your competitors in order to not only attract customers to, to get repeat business, increase your margins, and in fact, survive. In fact, he didn't say in fact, he said, I think that is what I've heard you say over the past few months. Firstly, am I correct in this assumption? And secondly, how do you differentiate yourself when people like ourselves and all our competitors are offering exactly the same products? Incidentally, I bought a copy of the audiobook of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets and I listen to it every day in the car and I love it. Well, David, thank you very much for your email. I must admit that um, when I saw you from Anchorage, I looked it up on Google, and uh, the temperature is about 24, and I've been complaining about how cold it is in LA, and it's about 50, (laughs) so I'll stop complaining about it now, but welcome to the show. David, according to research, 46 out of 51 different categories of products and services are totally commoditized. What that means is that the customer can't tell the difference between one product and, and another and if they can't, if they can tell the difference, the difference is such that they don't care. And consequently, they'll buy the cheapest product. You know, if you've got a choice between A and B and they're both about the same, you'll buy the cheapest one. That's just good sense. For example, I received a presentation today from an upmarket health and fitness organization. They sent me a really nice package, beautifully done lovely DVD box, etc. And it's, you know, very upmarket health and fitness organisation. But their promotional DVDs simply showed people working out on exercise machines with the odd testimonial thrown in. The video looked like it could have been recorded at any one of 10,000 other fitness clubs. It certainly didn't differentiate this organisation from anything else. So why the hell would I go there? Or why the hell would anybody who watched the DVD say, wow, I want to go and pay a premium for this? Looks like everything else. The reality is they won't. In order to differentiate yourself, you have to show that you have either a level of service or a level of equipment or a level of customer service or something that the others don't offer that people are prepared to pay for. Then you need to create a value proposition and present a value proposition that substantiates the ask that you're making financially. 
even when you're offering exactly the same products and service that a competitor's offering, you can always differentiate yourself. Always. You think um, you'll have six um, office supply companies set up in a, in a suburb or in a geographical area, six of them say. Then three years later, one of those stores has got four stores, one of them struggling, and the other four have gone broke. Now, they're all selling exactly the same stuff. So why is it that one prospers and expands, develops, when the others fall by the wayside? It's because they have found a way to differentiate themselves. And the key is to totally understand exactly what it is the customer's looking for and ensure that your what you're offering is directly in line with what they're seeking. And an example of this is, um, I'm just trying to think, Domino's Pizza. It's a, it's a simple example, but it's a good one. Domino's found that people, when they order home-delivered food, want it quickly. They don't, when they ring up, they don't say, make sure it's a good pizza, make sure it's a hot pizza. What they say is, when will I get it? And so Domino's came out with a CPB or a differentiation that said, we'll deliver it in 30 minutes or it'll be free. Now, they didn't talk about the pizza. They didn't say you're going to get a hot pizza. They didn't say you're going to get a big pizza. They didn't say you were going to get extra pepperoni. They didn't tell you anything about the pizza whatsoever. All they said was, it'll be quick. And they blitzed it. Absolutely blitzed it, selling the same pizza that you can buy on every bloody corner in America. But they owned it because they differentiated themselves. So it doesn't have to be about the product. And most, and if you're selling the product, same product that everybody else is, then it can't be about the product. It has to be about something else. You know, there can't be a disconnect between what the customer's buying and what you're offering. It's got to be the same. And, you know, quite often you can add products or services that, you know, sound like they're of a high value to the customer, but a, you know, pretty small cost and, and they're easy to add. You can also add considerable value by paying attention to the very minutest detail. For example, I once worked with a hairdressing salon and uh, we encouraged customers and it was in a high traffic area, very popular suburb, and we encouraged um, customers as they approached the um, salon in their car to phone us and then the owner of the salon would send a junior out to park the vehicle. So they effectively provided valet parking and this saved customers a major hassle. You know, drive, I hate driving around and driving around to park a car. I'd rather go somewhere else. So when that's taken away, it makes it easy. The customers loved it and were quite happy to pay a premium. So if you make a list of every single touch point between you and your customer, when you think about every time a customer touches your company it could be a phone call it could be getting online it could be an email it could be visiting you it could be walking into your reception it could be being at your premises and going to the bathroom um, it could be anything every single time they interact with you or your company or your office or 
even the bathroom. Give them a wow at every one of those points. You'll be surprised how powerful that is in overcoming a price discrepancy. And I know people say, oh, you know, it's too much hassle. It's the difference between succeeding and not succeeding. And all you need to do is just think about it. And I've told this story before, but in our marketing office in Malibu, we had a, um, a chocolate wheel. And every person that came into the office, irrespective of whether it was a client or somebody getting changed for a parking meter or a delivery man, they got to spin the wheel and they had a chance of winning a whole range of prizes valued from $50 to $5. But everybody won something. So the story got around really fast. So everybody that walked in, no matter who they were, spin the chocolate wheel, win something. Local newspapers picked it up. You know, I was at a local chamber of commerce meeting and people talked about it. It was a very, very inexpensive way to develop the brand. It was fantastic and it was so easy. I mean, just really a simple thing to do. David, I hope that information is helpful to you. Since you already have a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, we'll send you a copy of Marketing Magic, a book I wrote with Brian Tracy, J. Conrad Levinson, and Robert Bly. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Now, the second email comes from Jennifer Nugent of Toronto in Canada, but we're not going to have time to get to it. Jennifer, unfortunately, it's a bloody good question, actually. It's about... um, She and her husband are bootstrapping a business and hasn't made revenues yet and they're working full-time jobs and I'm going to discuss that next week. I'm looking forward to that. Now, if you're a regular listener to the show and are benefiting from the advice that you get from my guests and I each week, please tell your friends to listen. Go to my website, Bob at Bob Bob. Pritchard.com, www.bobpritchard.com, and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. Send your questions to me. Email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Google Plus, and contact me on LinkedIn. And don't forget, we've done about 120 interviews, or more than that, maybe 150 interviews with some of the top business entertainment um, people in the country. There's lawyers and there's accountants, people who advise businesses. So if you go to the archives at Voice America Business under Bob Pritchard, you will be able to listen to 160 people who are giving fantastic advice. Thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show for Entrepreneurs. Remember, if you're serious about being successful, this is the place to come every week at the same time. I'm Bob Pritchard. And I hope you have a fantastic and very, very successful week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.